Back in 2008, a little girl named Katie got a cabbage seedling from her school. And so she took her little cabbage home and she planted it in her parents' garden. And over time, that cabbage began to grow. And she watered it every day and she made sure to weed the garden and put fertilizer down on it and and made sure that it got lots of sun and everything that it needed to grow into a big, strong cabbage. And she noticed also that there were some deer in her neighborhood, and so she got her grandfather to build a, a big fence to put around the cabbage to make sure that no predators could get in to eat it, and she studied it real closely to make sure that there weren't any insects eating it from the inside out or any fungus or anything like that, and, and she was diligently caring for this cabbage. And wouldn't you know, her cabbage grew to be 40 pounds. It was massive. It massively eclipsed the size of a normal cabbage. And so she wondered, okay, what, what should I do with my big old cabbage? And she thought about it, and she decided, you know what? I'm going to take it to a soup kitchen, and I'm going to donate it. And that's what she did. She took it to the local soup kitchen, and she donated it, and they cooked up 40 pounds of cabbage to be used to feed people in need. And it was used to feed hundreds of people in that soup kitchen. I read that story this week. And we made, it made me think about our sermon series on 360-degree giving. We're in the middle of this sermon series right now. And it made me think about how Katie's parents must have done a pretty good job with Katie for her to be as generous and giving as she was. And you know, in this culture, where we're conditioned to always get things for ourselves, and we're constantly being bombarded with the message of get the new, bigger, better, stronger thing, teaching our children to be generous givers is no easy task. In fact, I think that our kids, in a lot of ways, are like cabbages, right? There there are plenty of predators out there trying to destroy them, both from the outside and from the inside. And kids, they require lots of effort to grow up healthy and strong, lots of attention, lots of time. And just like cabbages, sometimes our kids make us feel like we're going to explode on the inside. Okay. That was, that was, that was a joke. And you know, I thought, should I put a fart joke in there or not? And well, it made it in, and uh, there you go. Well, yeah, so that's what cabbages do to my dad, especially, and that's what our kids are like sometimes, right? And they take a lot of time, they take a lot of effort, they take a lot of energy. But if we care for them properly, they can grow to be generous followers of the Lord. So it's my hope today that as we look at giving downward, that's the direction that we're talking about today, we can learn how to grow our children to be generous givers. 
Now, whether that means our flesh and blood kids, or whether it means that spiritual child who we're discipling and pouring into and teaching the things of the Lord to, it's critical that we as parents, as disciplers, learn how to grow our children in generosity. And so we're going to be studying 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 3 today. Chapters 1 through 3 of 1 Samuel. And as you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, I'm going to pray. Lord, pray that you would fill me with your spirit. That you would speak through me, that my words would be yours, Lord. And that you would prepare our hearts to hear your truth and be transformed by it. Help us learn to train our kids to be generous givers and generous followers of you. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to alleviate your fears right at the beginning here and say that we're not going to be reading every verse of chapters 1 through 3 in 1 Samuel, okay? Um, and unlike I would usually do or like Pastor Tim would usually do, I'm going to go a little bit lighter on the exposition today and we're going to look at it a little bit more narratively, Okay? And so I would really encourage you to go back this week or tonight or whenever you have time and study these chapters in depth to really mine the richness that's in them. Now the book of 1 Samuel, as the name implies, is all about Samuel. And Samuel was the last judge before Israel got kings. And he, he was the one who anointed Saul and all that. And so these, these, this book is all about Samuel's life and ministry and how it overlapped with some of those early kings. But before it gets into all that, it talks about his birth and his upbringing. And so we're going to begin today with Hannah. Hannah is Samuel's mother. As we learn the first ingredient to growing children to be generous givers. We have to teach them to rely completely upon the Lord. See, verse 2 tells us that Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah. And Elkanah had a second wife as well. And this second wife was able to have children and had many children, whereas Hannah had no children. She was barren. And we've got to understand that in that culture, for a woman not to be able to have children was, it was a very shameful thing. The people would have looked down upon her and they would have assumed that she had done something wrong, something sinful that warranted the Lord causing her to be barren. And while the text doesn't give any indication that Hannah was barren because of some sin in her life, verse 5 of chapter 1 does tell us that it was the Lord who closed Hannah's womb. And despite this heart-wrenching situation, Hannah chose to continue to trust and rely upon the Lord. Of course, it wasn't easy for Hannah especially since Elkanah's other wife, who was jealous of Hannah because their husband favored Hannah, constantly mocked and ridiculed Hannah because she was unable to have kids. 
Despite that trial, despite that hardship, Hannah continued to trust and rely completely upon the Lord. And this brings us to verse 10, where the text tells us that Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. In her darkest moments, Hannah turned to the Lord. She relied completely on God. And verse 8 shows us that she didn't turn to her husband, who was trying to comfort her and say, Hey, look, Hannah, aren't I good enough for you? She didn't make an idol out of her husband, which is a whole other sermon in and of itself. No, Hannah relied upon the Lord. And it's right here that we see the starting point for the heart of a generous giver. The generous giver, first and foremost, knows how to rely and trust in God. No matter the hardship, no matter the trial, when things aren't going the way we'd like them to, or when we're weeping bitterly over a circumstance, a generous giver knows how to rely on God. So then, what's the first step in teaching our kids, whether they be our own or spiritual, how to be generous givers? Well, it starts by teaching them how to trust and rely upon the Lord. And it's critical at the very beginning here that we recognize that generosity is something that is caught far more than it's taught, all right? Our kids are going to be watching us, all right? They're going to be watching us, and we need to understand that they're going to be watching us. Of course, we need to teach them biblical truth as well, absolutely, but they're going to be watching us, all right? And so we need to model our own reliance upon the Lord, especially in the hard times. They need to see us trusting in the Lord when the car breaks down or the money gets tight or that sickness comes along. And you know what? It's perfectly appropriate for our kids to see us upset about these things. It's okay for our kids to see us struggling with these things. But that has to be coupled with trust and reliance on the Lord to come through in those tough times. In my previous career as an attorney, I had the unfortunate experience of being laid off, which doesn't usually happen in the legal profession. It's not something that you expect when you go and become a lawyer, and yet it happened to me. I got laid off. And my wife and I, we were very upfront with our kids from the very beginning. My oldest two in particular, they understood the gravity of what it meant to lose your job. And so we told them, look, got no job, which means we got no money. <laughs> Not an easy place to be. And yet, we also made clear to our kids that the Lord would provide in his timing. All we had to do was diligently 
and earnestly try to find what was available to us, and the Lord would make something available when the time was right. We prayed together as a family, and we approached it, not trying to sugarcoat anything. It stinks to lose your job. But we also wanted to rely on the Lord in that circumstance. The more our kids learn to rely on the Lord, especially in the tough times, the more willing they'll be to let go of something that the Lord calls them to give away. Why? Why is that? Why does it work that way? Because the more we trust and rely on the Lord, the more we find our security and comfort in Him instead of those material objects that we so often want to hold on to, whether it be money or anything else. And so the more our kids can learn to find their security in the Lord and rely on him, the more willing they'll be to let go. Parents, we gotta, we got to be sure to model reliance upon the Lord to our kids. Because it's going to be like fertilizer, right, on those little cabbages as they're growing up. And thankfully, the Lord did provide a job for me, and the Lord provided an answer for Hannah as well. So as we move on, we've seen that the foundation to growing our children into generous givers is teaching them to rely on the Lord. But secondly, we've also got to teach them to return all we have to the Lord. We pick up our story in verse 11 of chapter 1, and we read that Hannah vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now, this isn't Hannah bargaining with God here. This was Hannah making clear that she understood that everything she has, including a son, should the Lord bless her with one, everything she has belongs to the Lord. And more than that, more than just belonging to the Lord, everything she has, she was willing to give right back to him for his use however he directed it. And I really admire this attitude within Hannah because not only did she acknowledge that God owns it all, but she was willing at a moment's notice to give it back should the Lord ask for it. She even was being proactive in dedicating it back to the Lord. And I would guess that most of us here would pretty readily agree that everything that we have belongs to the Lord. But it's another thing, we honestly search ourselves to say, everything I have is God's, but am I willing to let him use it whenever he asks for it? Am I willing to give it back when he calls for it? Well, as we continue the narrative, the Lord did bless Hannah with a son, the little boy Samuel. And after she weaned him, she made good on her vow, and she brought Samuel to the temple and dedicated him to the Lord. In verses 27 and 28 of chapter 1, we read, For this child I prayed, 
And the Lord has granted me my my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Now the word lent there or give given in, in some translations in the Hebrew is means dedicated. He is dedicated to the Lord. And as we model this mindset to our kids, it's important that they see how we view our possessions. Do our kids see us just saying that everything we have belongs to the Lord, paying lip service to that, and kind of maybe holding some things back? Or do they see us saying that and actually meaning it and living it out and living with open hands to God? One very practical way that our children can see us model this attitude is by them seeing you give your tithe each week or every other week or whatever your cycle is, right? One of the things that we're going to be changing here in our services, actually, starting next week, is that we're going to be dismissing our kids after the announcements and after the offering because we want them to see their parents worshiping the Lord through the giving. And that's really what it comes down to. It's teaching our kids to worship with every part of us, including with what the Lord calls us to return back to him. My parents did this with me growing up, and, and I remember they would give us a check or whatever, cash, and when the basket would go around, we'd throw it in. And it left a mark on me because I saw them doing this faithfully. And when I got old enough to have an income, I wanted to worship the Lord in that same manner. So that's just, that's just a very simple type of thing. But the key is that we are modeling an attitude to our kids that says, my hands are open, God. Yours, whatever, whatever you're calling me to return back to you. And our kids will learn that, and especially if they can participate in that process as well. And that brings us to the third principle for growing our kids to be generous givers. We need to teach them to recognize the Lord's blessings in their lives. After Hannah left little Samuel with Eli, who was the high priest at the temple, in the beginning of chapter 2, we read Hannah's song of thanksgiving to the Lord. And she praised him for his faithfulness and for the wonderful gift that he had blessed her with. And in it she sings, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, there is no rock like our God. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Hannah recognized where her blessing came from. And she gave all praise and honor and glory straight to God. In my life, this is something that 
I've asked God to help me be better at because it's so easy, isn't it, to begin to take for granted some of those small things, some of those small blessings. It's so easy to forget the Lord's sovereign hand in directing all of that. Or perhaps worse is we begin to see those blessings and we think that they're a result of our hard work or our intelligence or our skill or perseverance. And we forget that even those things in and of themselves are blessings from God, right? The more we recognize the Lord's blessings in our lives, the more thankful we'll become. And you know what? A thankful heart is a generous heart. I want to say that again because this is a key point. A thankful heart is a generous heart. The more filled with thanksgiving we are over what the Lord has done for us, the more willing we'll be able to praise Him and to give however we're called to give. Now, you might say, well, I don't have that much to be thankful for. I mean, I'm kind of in a really tough spot right now. Well, it's right here at this point that it is absolutely critical that we're reminded of the message of the gospel. That we remember that every single one of us deserves hell because none of us are worthy to stand before God on our own merit. And despite that, God saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. And he saved us through his son, Jesus Christ, by having him die in our place so that we might have a chance at eternal life. And so that we could live lives of joyful and thankful service to him until he calls us home. the more the message of the gospel transforms us and produces a thankful heart within us, the more we will learn to be thankful for even the smallest things, even when we're in the midst of a storm, and the more generous we'll become. God was willing to have his perfect and holy son killed for us. That's the ultimate act of love and generosity. How much more generous should we be with what the Lord calls us to give? Our thankfulness for our salvation through Christ should produce in us an overflowing heart of generosity. And likewise, the more we teach our kids to recognize the Lord's blessings in their lives the more thankful they'll become and the more generous they'll be with what God has entrusted to them. Parents, spiritual or otherwise, we have to be sure to teach our children the full picture of the gospel. It's it's excellent that our kids know that Jesus died for them. A lot of our kids can repeat that, and that's good. But do our kids 
know why Jesus had to die for them. Do our kids understand that their sin separates them from God? And without Christ, they would remain separated from God for all eternity. See, the more our kids understand what they've been saved from, the more thankful they'll be for what they've been saved for, for eternity with God. And that's just the starting point. Once they understand the gospel, we've got to be sure to point out the Lord's continued blessings in their lives, how he is at work in every facet of their day, from the grades that they get to the things that they find success with, the different activities, to what they're good at, their skills, their talents, to the friends they have, to a roof over their head, to food on the table, to the Lord protecting them. All of these things are blessings from the Lord that we can very quickly take for granted. The more we can teach our kids to recognize the Lord's blessings in their lives, especially the gospel truth, the more thankful they'll become, which will grow them into generous followers of the Lord. So we've seen those first three points. Generosity grows through relying on the Lord, returning to him what he calls us to give, and by recognizing his blessings in our lives. As we continue on to the fourth point, we learn that generosity grows through righteously reproving sin. Back in our story in 1 Samuel, the story it transitions away from Hannah... And now it focuses on Eli, who was the high priest who took Samuel in. Now, Eli was an old man when he took Samuel. And Eli had two sons of his own. And chapter 2, verse 12 tells us that his two sons were worthless men who did not know the Lord. And worse yet, his two sons were priests. And they abused their privileges as priests. They stole from the Lord. They pretty much lived the exact opposite of generous lives. And all they did was pursue their own lustful and selfish desires. And Eli, their father, he knew it. And in verses 23 through 25 of chapter 2, he tried to warn them when he said, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Now, Eli had the power as the high priest and as their father to discipline his sons. But he merely pointed out their wrongdoing and then did nothing further to stop them. Now, his sons were grown men at this point. But this little exchange shows us an example of a pattern that likely repeated itself all throughout the lives of these children. They weren't properly reproved 
corrected, disciplined for their sin. They didn't receive righteous discipline for their disobedience. Now, if we hope to see our children grow to be generous men and women who follow the Lord with every part of them, we've got to do the hard work of righteously reproving their sin now when they're young and teachable. And then all throughout their lives as they continue to grow. I have four kids of my own, and I'll be the first one to admit that I can do a better job of disciplining my children. But fathers especially, listen to me, we've got to be on top of disciplining our kids with love and gentleness, but also firmness and consistency. When I see my child acting out selfishly and greedily, I've got to step in and help them see their sinful hearts and remind them of the truth of Scripture and that there are consequences for sin. But I can't just be reactive in my training of them all the time. I've also got to be proactive in reproving and teaching them. Teaching them to be generous, to share amongst themselves and others, and learning not to be greedy and hoarding selfish people. Growing up, I knew that my family was blessed tremendously financially. And in hindsight, I, I see now all that my parents did, both proactively and reactively, to not let that financial blessing lead to materialistic sin or greedy expectations and entitlements in my own heart. One of the things that they did was no matter how many rooms we may have had in the house, I always, no matter what, shared a room with my brother. We could have had 50 rooms in the house, and no matter what, I was in the top bunk, and he was in the bottom bunk. And my sisters did the exact same thing. But not only did we share a room, we shared everything. My clothes were his clothes. My stuff was his stuff. My toys were his toys. Didn't matter. I mean, we even wore each other's underwear, all right? There was no differentiation, all right? Why did my parents do that? Because they're sadistic, I know. But otherwise, it was because... They wanted to be proactive in training our hearts not to get attached to stuff and to learn to share everything that we had, to not be greedy and selfish. And you know, I have three boys now, and they're all stuffed into one room. <laughs> Triple bunk beds, baby. Boom, boom, boom. My oldest boy's face is about a foot from the ceiling, but they fit in there, all right? <laughs> Naturally, my little girl has a room to herself. She can be as selfish as she wants to be. But the boys, they're being trained in righteousness. <laughs> Do I have plans of changing that as they get older? Not really. Why? 
because I'm sadistic like my parents. No, <laughs> because I want to find ways to proactively reprove their sinful hearts while also consistently and lovingly helping to show them their greed and selfishness when it comes out. And by the way, this isn't always about correcting our kids when they're wrong. We've also got to encourage and praise our kids when they do right. In fact, there should probably be more of this than the former. You know, when Samuel began his training at the temple, Hannah didn't just disappear from his life. Chapter 2, verse 20 tells us that Hannah continued to visit Samuel and to encourage him in his ministry. Yes, we've got to be diligent in correcting our children, but we've also got to be diligent in encouraging them and praising them when they do right, when they honor the Lord. Growing our kids to be generous givers requires us to righteously reprove their sin as soon as it manifests itself, but also to encourage them in their righteous living. And as we continue on the story with little Samuel, we learn the fifth principle, that generosity grows through responding to the Lord with a servant's heart. See, one day little Samuel was laying down to go to sleep, and he heard a voice that called out his name. And he got up and he ran over to Eli and he said, here I am. And Eli was like, I didn't say anything. You need to kind of go back to bed, son. And then it happened a second time and a third time. If I was Eli, I probably would have been pretty angry by this point. I'd be like, get in bed and stay in bed, right? But Eli picked up that something was going on. Something wasn't quite right. And so we pick up the story in chapter 3, in verse 9 and 10. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. While Eli certainly failed in growing a servant's heart within his older two sons, thankfully, God's the God of second chances. Amen? And he was doing a good job with little Samuel. I mean, the first time Samuel heard the voice in verse Five, it says that Samuel ran to Eli. He was, he was anxious to serve however he could. And when Eli finally realized what was going on, he gave Samuel very specific instructions with how he should respond to the Lord. He said, tell him, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. He didn't say, speak, Lord, your child hears. Or, speak, Lord, I'm listening to you. He was extremely intentional about teaching Samuel to respond to the Lord with the heart of a servant. And parents, this is so critical in our children. 
encouraging them to serve the Lord right now, even when they're young, and responding with the heart of a servant. There are lots of ways that your kids can serve the Lord right now. I had the privilege of taking my oldest son with me on a missions trip this past summer, and it was awesome to see him experience that and to serve the Lord like that. And I love when I see kids serving in lots of different ways, whether it's helping to pass out bulletins or they're at VBS working with the younger kids or they're at, at Riverside at the soup kitchen or they're helping to set up coffees and bagel like, or they're out visiting people. Um, whatever they can do to serve. I love when I see the kids serving. And by the way, if our kids aren't quite old enough serve, and even if they are, it is of paramount importance that our kids see us serving, volunteering. You want to teach your child to have a servant's heart and respond to the Lord with a servant's heart? Then you yourself need to be modeling that servant's heart to your child. I can think of several families here at Cornerstone who have volunteered in positions for years, and then when their kids got old enough, their kids volunteered in those exact same positions. I think that's awesome to see. If we want our kids to grow to be generous givers, we've got to teach them to have a servant's heart. We've got to model that to them. And this brings us to our final principle for growing our kids to be generous givers. Generosity grows through replacing pride with humility. Let's pick up our text in verse 11 of chapter 3. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. How's that for some encouragement to righteously reprove our kids, huh? Skipping down to verse 15. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now there's a whole lot in there. But what I want us to focus on is the humility of Eli in accepting the punishment that the Lord was about to apply to his family. Eli didn't argue with God. 
He didn't pridefully resist or make excuses or try to shift the blame to someone else. He simply acknowledged his sin and humbly accepted the Lord's decision. And more than that, he modeled a spirit of humility to little Samuel. Who, by the way, was terrified to give him this message, right? Samuel saw what humble acceptance looked like, and he learned the importance of putting to death his pride. Now, before I mentioned there was a direct correlation between thankfulness and generosity. Well, there's also a direct correlation between humility and generosity. The more we get our eyes off of ourselves, the more humble we can be, the more thankful we'll be, the more generous we'll be. The more we recognize that it's not about me or what I can do, more thankful and generous will be. Of course, you turn that around, the more prideful you are, the more it's all about you, doesn't make for a very thankful person or a very generous person. As parents, we've got to be mindful of the pride in our children's hearts the more diligently we can teach them to replace their pride with humility, the more generous they'll be as they get their eyes off of themselves and they get it on to God and to others. By the way, this principle here, replacing pride with humility, it undergirds all five of the previous principles. Each one of those first five principles in one way or another has to do with replacing pride with humility and teaching our kids to be humble givers instead of prideful and selfish keepers and takers. And that brings us back to Katie and her big old cabbage. After Katie donated her cabbage, she thought, Why can't I grow more food to donate? And one thing led to another, and pretty soon she had her own nonprofit organization that grew food and planted gardens solely for the purpose of giving it away to those in need. It was called Katie's Crops. And that was back in 2008. Today, Katie is in high school, and her nonprofit has facilitated the creation of dozens and dozens and dozens of gardens all over the world that are there for the sole purpose of donating the food to soup kitchens and those who are in need. One lovingly cared for cabbage has led to tens of thousands of people being fed all over the country. And that's the exact same thing that can happen with our little cabbages. Those 
smelly little bundles of joy that the Lord has entrusted to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Let's be diligent in planting the truth of generosity into our children's hearts and and watering it with love and encouragement and most importantly, trust the Lord to grow them into generous givers. Let's, Let's ask the Lord to give us the wisdom to apply these six things that we've studied today. That we can learn to rely upon the Lord and return all things to him and recognize his blessings in our life and that our kids would accept righteous reproof of their sin and responding to the Lord with a servant's heart and perhaps most importantly, replacing pride with humility as the gospel message transforms them. If we can faithfully do these things, I'm confident that the Lord will work, that the Lord will work in our children to become generous givers and we'll see the fruit of our labor sprout up all over the world. Amen?